as a as a young Christian lad who had never left home, and all of a sudden I found myself at Sandhurst being uh, shouted at all the time, and um, and just like really tested and really being pushed beyond your limits. Welcome along then to episode four of Sam and Dan Chat. This week is a little bit different. Um, I'm here in the studio and our man over in America, Dan Hames. Hello, y'all. Y'all. I'm speaking to you. I did that in the most uh, English accent possible. I'm speaking to you from Waco, Texas, which is, I, I believe, the cult capital of the world. Oh, and uh, I'm, trying really? to out, I'm trying to keep out of their way. So Louis Theroux's probably been there. <laughs> um, he should be on this podcast one day. That would be good, wouldn't it? Hamesy, speaking of who should be on the podcast, mm. um, can I give you a quote? A quote from a fan who said, quote, I can't believe how professional this is, unquote. And that particular fan was a certain Sam Kennedy, um, who is also... <laughs> On our Zoom call. <laughs> hey. Hey. Hey, guys. Uh, I know I did say that and I did completely mean it. But, um, yeah, it's genuinely an absolute treat to be on here with you guys. First uh, first guest. You are first Everyone guest, else must have, uh, must have turned you down. Yeah. We've, we put out a lot of feelings. <laughs> so, <laughs> this is... I mean, this is tough, but we'll make do. We'll make do. Um, and you were, of course, talking about the preamble and the setup and just the professional nature by which we go about making this podcast. So I'm so glad you think that. Um, and we can't wait to uh, to chat to you because we're only kidding, really. You're, you were top of the list to get on. Cool. So we've got a lot to cover. Um, but maybe... a. A bit of a bit of preamble to define it first. Um, we were talking just before we came on about the about the rugger, Hamesy. I'm a bit gutted because you obviously can't see any of this. Is that right? Yeah, here in the states, um, they don't really understand sport. Um, they have they have some of their own sports, but they're very strange, and uh, you can't easily get get hold of real sport like rugby. So um, I'm having to live off the scraps of little clips on social media. Um, so your automation stuff has all kicked off and I've only seen seconds of it. Yeah, you haven't managed to get into any kind of US sports since you've been out there. I know you've been out there a few days. Normally when people go on holiday to, uh, to America, they come back kind of experts in that area, don't they? Like NFL or whatever it is. A little bit of, um, of American football, AKA football, um, which is, yeah, it's quite interesting. I think I didn't understand it at all before. And now I'm beginning to understand a little bit more. Mm. Um, I'll tell you what's really strange. Is the commentators, they talk absolute nonsense. I don't understand a word of what they're saying. <laughs> yeah, that is right. But it's, uh, it's been an experience. So have you been to the line of scrimmage yet, Hamesy? I've been there mentally, spiritually, <laughs> psychologically. Indeed, we are all there on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah, I was saying, um, in terms of navigating time zones, sleep deprivation in that sense. I've been to the line and beyond. Yeah. Do you like American sport, Kennedy? Because I, I um, have to say, when I when I went to America, 
I've, yeah. I've been to the NBA and the NFL and the baseball, and I can't remember the acronym for that one. And in person, they are next level. Like yeah. really, really cool. Because they're just whole, they're whole day events. Yeah. And it's just uh, something else. So in all honesty, so I really like soccer. Uh, no, kidding. I, I, I know that's not American. Um, I was poor. Um, no, do you know what? I, so I think the only reason why I kind of got into American sports is through watching All or Nothing, um, the oh documentary. Word. So I, I, got, I got quite into NFL through that to the point that I'd stay up on a Sunday night and watch the um, whatever the NFL show is. It might be called the NFL show um, on the BBC. I, I really enjoyed that. And then um, when there was another, and I did, I think it was all or nothing, then did one on the National Hockey League as well. Uh, and that was like quality, really good. Mm. So um, yeah, like I, I've got an interest in it, but then I've got an interest in sport. So I, I, I don't necessarily think it's because I, I love American sport necessarily, but um, but yeah, the, like the scale of it is just huge. I'd love to go to one of the NFL matches in, um, in London at some point um yeah i think that'd be a real experience something else it's just a real party but then you i think you do get a bit of that and i think the um i think actually the six nations and perhaps the autumn internationals that we referenced earlier you you can't get that a bit because you look at cardiff and dublin and Mm. edinburgh not so much London because Twickenham's so far out, but with those three, yeah. especially in Paris, like the stadium is right in the middle of the city. Yeah. So all day um, in Cardiff is building up, building up, and then the coach is going all the way through the, the middle of the streets of Cardiff into the game. Yeah. And then after the game, you just spill out onto the streets and you're banging in the middle of the city. So I think you do, there's a, you get a little bit of that. Yeah. With the interview, certainly the autumn and, and the Six Nations, but... Mate, there were some, there were some serious games this weekend. We were just saying, weren't we? I yeah. think France, Australia for me. Oh my word! Unreal. What a game! What a game! I um, they've got to be favourites of the World Cup, France, haven't they? They've got to be one of them, surely. They've gone. I think it's eleven games now undefeated, um, which is the longest. I think that sets a record within within French rugby. Um, but they were also making a big deal. Is it Vaca Tower? Is that how you say the guy's name? That yeah. he, oh, yeah. it's the first. So the first game, the first international that they played, where he hasn't been, where he hasn't been playing um, after he had the heart condition that then has ruled him out of rugby forever. So that's right. He retired. Yeah. 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 Only back in like September, I think it was. So yeah, bit first game without him. Wow. But that it was sensational. And if you're when you're listening to the, whoever's listening to this, it will be a. A bit, a bit outdated by the time it goes, but it's still worth looking up um, yeah. Damien Penno's try to win mm. the game against Australia because that is single-handed mastery mm. to win your team a game in the in the death. Um, but Hamesy, sorry, we sh- we probably shouldn't rub your nose in it too much because um, I know you can't see it. But you went paddleboarding. Yeah, I did. <laughs> On the uh, that was a that was a sport, isn't it? I went paddleboarding yeah. down the I think it's called the Brazos River. In Texas, and actually, yeah, in I saw the um, so where I'm staying is pretty much in the kind of the bubble of the campus of, uh, of mm. Baylor University, and um, you know here the um, the sports uh, the kind of the sports that get um, a lot of profile often is like the college level stuff, so like universities. So mm. the 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 football stadium for the the Baylor Bears uh, football team, which I paddleboarded past is like a huge 50,000 seater stadium is just huge and um, that's not even 
that's not even like the pro level mm-hmm. sports sort of national sports stuff that's like college, yeah. college level and it's just this in- incredible stadium um, and they've got you know sort of stands set set up for the for all the freshman students with seats colour coded um, place for alumni to sit then they've got like this whole hospitality area so it is it is a bit like going to a, a slightly smaller Twickers or something mm. like that but it's oh, but wow. it's the equivalent of just your uni footy team. But mm, it's so cool. The thing that I'm always quite amazed at, and I could be wrong here, but but the thing I'm always amazed by is the fact that that they take it so seriously at like collegiate level, and then if they don't make it into the NFL, that's their careers pretty much done. That's their their time of playing that sport finished. Um, which is just bizarre. It'd be like you finishing rugby, Sam, and then knowing that there's no other option to ever get back into it again. Um, and I could be wrong, but I, but but I think that is the case, which is pretty incredible. It is it's a whole different system, isn't it? That would be quite good to get somebody who knows their stuff on. And we could talk about the differences because it fascinates me. And like you said, um, Kennedy, the the Netflix stuff, it's just yeah. opened a whole new door. I, I love it. I think it's so cool. Um, but yeah, there's some serious differences there, and they're 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 seriously patriotic, aren't they? As a as a nation, Spirit. yeah. Um, military. Yeah, military. What do I smell, Hamzy? <laughs> I smell a Segway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so the Atlantic, that one. <laughs> on the on the north, the north. What is it? No, no, I can't remember. I was going to do a geography <laughs> reference, but <laughs> I've lost it. I've lost it. It's been some time since that, since that degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's not ruin the segue. Let's not ruin the segue. Um, Hamzy, we got Kennedy on, obviously, for more than to talk about American sports. We do. I think. Yeah, my knowledge of that has been exploited, I think. <laughs> so, um, Sam Kennedy is um, a long-time serviceman. I think that would be the American term. Um, a major in the army. And um, Sam, uh, I think Ridgeway and I have known you since before yeah. you in the army and um so we've seen you pre and during army life yeah. it'd be great to talk a little bit about um really generally about your your time in the army what took you there um how you yeah of course as a christian and all sorts of stuff mm. i'd like to begin though with an anecdote if i may <laughs> which is uh, I know what's coming here <laughs> yeah from, um, from before like I, I knew you I got to know you in church and I I just thought here's this lovely guy um, really friendly smiley welcoming quite likes a bit of a, a cuddle and um, and then one day he says says that he's thinking of joining the army and I remember thinking to myself huh okay I think I had in my head an army, a potential army joining a kind of tattooed, <laughs> you know, that kind of person anyway. And um, I thought, fine, you know, I'm very supportive of my new friend. But then I remember we went, we went to Momentum in your brother Tom's camper van. Yeah, we had a top speed of about 25 miles an hour. So we got there very late. It was very dark. We had, we had tents to park. 
and yeah. it was raining. And I remember Tom, your brother, wasn't coping particularly well with the situation. Sorry, Tom, if you're listening. Um, and uh, I remember thinking, I'm always going to happen here. I'm not. I'm not that good for sense. But you just snapped into this mode of like organising logistics, just getting things done, really practically minded. Just took control of the situation, and I thought, what What is this? Like this uh, this persona emerged, and I suddenly thought. There's a man who could join the army. Um, maybe, maybe not as like a frontline sort of commando figure, but definitely the royal logistics. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mate. Do you know what the, the funny thing is? That's not the uh, that's not the story that I thought you were going to tell. Um, oh. So I thought I thought you were going to tell the story about. I think I I think I just commissioned, or I'd been in the army for only a few months, and um, we went round. You guys came over to my house, and Grandma and Grandpa were house sitting, and my mum and dad were away, and um, and we decided that we were going to cook dinner or do something. And um, I went to open a tin can with a tin opener, and my grandma, who would have been like, been like, like mid- opener, wasn't it? Like, yeah, 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 yeah like kind of tin opener which clamps on and you turn it. That one was broken, so this was like a yeah. this was like an exposed blade tin opener. Yeah, yeah, that, that's exactly it. But still, one that I probably first used when I was about four or five under the guidance of my mother. Um, <laughs> and uh, and at this point, I was like nineteen or twenty, uh, the, the kind of just just join the army and um i went to go and get this tin to open and my grandma from the other side of the, the 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 room kind of like hailed me down and um and came over she she's like in her mid 80s at this point and kind of tottered over and said um and said oh sam this is too dangerous for you to be doing let me do it and took it off me and opened it and uh and i remember you guys just wetting yourselves but here's here's i'm not allowed to open a can i remember you saying was um Grandma, I'm about to join the army. <laughs> yeah, and she still didn't give it back. <laughs> she said, yes, but not in this kitchen. <laughs> Amazing. Anyway, uh, so, um, those two stories do set a lovely, yeah, a lovely background to this. But tell us, um, how did you how did you end up um joining the army? What what was the um yeah. the motivation? What's the story behind um you Tender, tender young Christian lad. <laughs> yeah. Becoming a man in the army. What's the story? Yeah, of course. Um, so I, I, so I initially kind of started to look at the army when I was 17 or 18 and um, went through the first round of, um, of selection boards to join as an officer. Um, I, I didn't have a degree, so they so didn't think that I'd necessarily make it. Um, and I just happened to, to get through the selection boards um, each time that I went to each level of them um, and found myself in a place at Sandhurst. And I think I, I came from that position from not necessarily uh, an individual that did particularly well at school. I, I didn't try particularly hard and, and my my grades absolutely were 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 a reflection of how hard I tried. Um, I think I got two C's and two D's at A level, and that was in travel and tourism um, and some other studies. Sorry if anyone else is doing travel and tourism. I really enjoyed it, um, but it, it didn't really set me up for anything. So. Um, so I looked, at, I looked around a few universities, um, and, um, yeah, and, and just decided that that wasn't for me. Um, my wife, Erin, um, we've been together for ages and she was dead set on going to university. And I think that was real, really the catalyst for me, um, to, to try something different and to look elsewhere. And it, it was at the time that, um, that, that the war in Afghanistan was in the media on a, on a daily basis. And I think it, it just 
kind of inspired me to to do something different and, and to apply for the army. And as I said, I, I didn't think I'd get in. And then uh, all of a sudden I found myself on day one of Santos as a as a 20-year-old and really wishing I was home. Um, and then for the rest of the time that I was at Santos, I think I cried most days and still wished that I was home right up until the day, right up until the day I commissioned. Um, so yeah, it was, a, it was a whirlwind, but that's basically how I found myself there. And so Santos, for those who um, who aren't familiar, Santos is like the the kind of academy for training officers. Is yeah. That right? yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, that's exactly it. So from from there, you it means you go into the army not as a um, like a private, like a, if we can say this. Tell us if we're being uh, unfair. Yeah, you're not like a standard soldier, but you're going in. To, as an officer, which means you're going to be immediately with some kind of higher responsibility. Is that is that yeah. how to speak about that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, you can you can join in two different positions. So you can either join as a as a soldier and come up through the ranks. Um, so starting at private and upwards, um, or you can join as an officer where you go in as a second lieutenant and you're in a in an immediate position of of leadership. Um, and officer training is a year. Um, at, at the Royal Military Academy Sandhurst, uh, and then you go and do your kind of trade-specific training after that, where you where you train to be um, an officer in the in the cap badge in the regiment or whatever it is that you've that you've decided to serve in. Um, so yeah, so so I decided to do that. I, I, I was the youngest in my platoon by quite a long long way because the majority of people that go through Santos, I think it's like eighty five percent or so. I think it was eighty seven percent go through with a degree. So I was I was super young compared to the majority of people, and and I found that really hard. Uh, I think as a as a young Christian lad who had never left home, and all of a sudden I found myself at Santos being. Uh, shouted at all the time and um, and just like really tested and really being pushed beyond your limits um, w- was was really hard. Um, and as they say at Sandhurst, they break you down to build you back up. And like absolutely, I think that I think that was the case, but but it was really tough. Um, and there were a lot of evenings I'd get back or days I'd get back and I'd just cry. And but yeah, it was hard. But um, but like an amazing experience looking back. But I'm still absolutely terrified of Santa. So like you go back now and you still have the jitters going through the door. It's um, uh, it's bizarre. But um, but yeah, a real privilege to have gone through there and to have experienced it and um, to have met some incredible people along the way. Um, and also just to know the people that have gone before you as well. There's such a legacy at Sandhurst of, of people that have also been through Sandhurst. And um, you don't remember any of that when you're actually there. But when you leave it, you look back with raised into glasses. And, um, yeah, it was a real experience. Mate, is that so? Is that true that you you cried most days? Because like we did a mm. um we did an episode on emotions like a couple of, yeah maybe a couple of episodes ago, and we spoke a lot about this kind of thing. And yeah, I yeah I I knew Sandhurst was like was tough, but I think I um, yeah I never would have thought that maybe that would have been the case. I I, I think yeah I I didn't know that about you. I knew that it was yeah. a tough between you and Erin. And it was a long distance thing and you saw very yeah. little of her, but did you really, it was, it was, it was, that oh, it was and- yeah, it, it, it was really tough. Um, it's, I know everyone says this, but I think it has changed recently um, in the last few years because it now gets offsteaded, but before it got offsteaded, it was, um, it was pretty brutal, but, it, but again, it was a, it was almost like a rite of passage. So the, yeah. it's split into three terms and it gets, um, it gets harder in some aspects. It gets easier in other aspects um, as you go through the terms. But the the kind of first five weeks, weeks one to five in the first term are just brutal. That's um, up at 
stupid o'clock in the morning and when I was going through like you if you're at the back of the queue going going for breakfast you won't get any breakfast and it was the same for, for everything and then you're you're getting to bed like super late at night I was one of two people at my platoon of 38 that, that slept on their beds in the first five weeks everyone else slept on the floor because they wanted to like keep an eye and uh, for the room break uh, for like the room inspections the next day um, and it was brutal like um, things getting thrown out the door when the room inspections occurred things getting thrown out the window like it was brutal but again it was it was a real kind of team bonding thing but but the bizarre thing was and like this is people just like you can't quite kind of understand this uh, and it's still hard to kind of imagine this now looking back 10 years later um, but when you're going through Santish you only know everyone by their last name so you had to call everyone Mr it would be Mr Hames Mr Ridgeway um, so I got to the end of my time at Santos and, and I still didn't know some of the boys first names and these guys were people that I was spending every minute of every waking kind of every every day with um and um and i only knew them by their last names and again i think that was really interesting because you 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 created these really strong bonds with these individuals but the relationship was only as strong as it was because you were going through the same experiences like you didn't really know anything know anything else about each other including first names um and there's there was definitely kind of a i think i was very aware at the age of uh, 20 at uh, the age of 20 that that I didn't want to look weak when everyone else was so much kind of older than me and and of course they must be stronger than me as well that's what I was thinking where actually everyone was going through their struggles and um yeah I think if I was doing it again I'd be much more open about my emotions I would um I'd tell people when I was struggling and if I was finding things hard and I just wouldn't take it as seriously um but then that's with hindsight and knowing what it's like to instruct in a place like that and knowing that you can't watch everyone every minute of the day and be assessing them every minute of the day, even though that's the impression that they give. Um, but yeah, I can remember on the first day, first full day, giving Erin a call in the evening to say, I'm being so excited to call her to tell her that I was coming home as in that I was going to leave and um and uh called her up crying and i said erin i've decided i'm coming home and she goes no you're not and put the phone down um and uh but by that point i just i knew i was <laughs> i knew i was there for the long term um yeah wow but presume so presumably mm. and we when we were talking about emotions we were talking about how how important talking about it is and particularly for men yeah. and, um and you can like go back and, and listen to that but presumably there's there's an element especially in the army mm. that actually that stuff's deliberate they deliberately flog you yeah and you deliberately have to have to go through that and cope with your emotions um because when you're in the middle of a war zone or in the yeah. middle of a six-month tour yeah you it's your job to be there and to be on it yeah and to be to have coping mechanisms for that. Yeah, absolutely. And to have had that experience and to be able to fall back on it. So yeah. it's an interesting balance, isn't it? Because I, I guess as much as they can acknowledge mental health and, and, should, yeah. and should, should talk about that stuff, they, they have, you have to have a, a toughness and you have yeah, to absolutely. have a resilience and you have, that yeah. has to be built in, doesn't it? Cause it, otherwise it, you, you know, it's, it's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah, you're completely right. Uh, and they always talked about that, that. The reason why they broke you down was um, so that when you're then experiencing that, if you are out in a war zone and you're um, you're under fire or whatever it is, you're under a huge amount of pressure, um, you know that you've been through similar situations before and then it's more instinctive. And I think then you've then got the other element to it as well, that then as a leader, 
kind of commissioning into the army as an officer and being in a leadership role, it's really important to, I personally think it's really important to share your emotions with your soldiers and those people that are around you, but you've got to be careful what you share with them. And you've got to be careful how much you share with them um, because you've still got to inspire confidence in them as well. And the one person that they need to be able to turn to um, ultimately is you. And as long as you're kind of like the epitome of, um, of someone who's like cool under pressure um, and someone that can cope with the pressures that when they can, that, that basically they can look up to and they, they, they feel, they feel inspired and confident because you are, your, your legs might be flapping under the water. Your feet might be flapping under the water, but actually on top you're, you're dead relaxed and you, you look like you've got everything in hand. <laughs> but are there times where they could come and say, come and talk to you and, and you might be like, yeah, mate, look, I'm bricking it as well. But or does that just not, do you just not have that level of, of yeah. transparency um, with them? So I think, I think absolutely there's an element of that. I think you, again, need to just be careful when you share that. I think it's yeah. really important to show your personal side. I think that's that, that's so important with leadership in general. That I think they need to see that you're a human and that you're a person. Um, but I think you've got to be careful when you share it because if you were say in a firefight and you've got bullets coming over your head, um, the the one thing you don't want you, you don't want them to think that you're terrified and actually that your decision making is going to be impaired because of that fear. Um, and I guess that's what that that's what Sandhurst tries to kind of drum into you that actually when this when something like that happens, you take a step back, you evaluate the situation, and then you make clear, concise decisions. Um, yeah, my my colour sergeant at Sandhurst always used to say. Um, and I'm not going to try the Scottish accent. He used to say a lot of things that wouldn't be able to be repeated on here. To be honest, the majority of stuff he he, he said wouldn't be able to get repeated on here. Um, but one of the things was he said uh, they always used to talk about being flexible and the importance of being flexible as a commander with their decision making or whatever it is. But his saying was, um, you've got to be fluid because flexible is too rigid. Um, and I thought that was like, that's kind of, that's what Sandhurst is like. But um but yeah, an amazing wow. experience, and like, it, it absolutely it changed me, and it and I and I'm sure I wouldn't be the person I am today if it hadn't been for for that experience, um, for the good and for the bad. But um, yeah, a long so, time ago now. So yeah, tell us. That, so that's what ten years ago, or so a little bit more. Yeah. Since then, you've you commissioned, you've served actually a number of different. Um, well, you've you've gone up through some ranks, which we're, I'm going to get you to catalogue this if you don't mind. Yeah. Just, the ranks you've gone through, some of the jobs you've done. And I think we'll, we got, I'd love this maybe to delve into some of the stuff. I know you've been on tour. You've had some yeah. really interesting jobs, but would you maybe just give yeah. us kind of the, um, the one or two minute just run through of what's happened in the last 10 years? That's the overview. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you, you go through Santos as an officer cadet. Um, you then commission out of Santos as a second lieutenant. Um, and you're in the role of second lieutenant for um, a couple of years no for a year actually um so 12 months before then commissioning uh, before uh, promoting a, against the lieutenant um and that's like the kind of like junior leadership role um and um so i went and joined the regiment so for me personally i went into the royal logistic corps um so everything uh, logistics from kind of frontline um stuff making sure that the people on the front line that are fighting get the really important stuff that they need so things like bullets um, medical supplies food water fuel that type of stuff um right to the other side where it's like um ship to shore logistics so making sure that like the royal logistic or do um, do all the kind of like shipping of freight and vehicles around the world. So um, there's loads of different stuff that the that the cat badge does. Um, 
So I went into a frontline logistic unit um, that had recently returned from Afghanistan literally six months before. Um, and um, and I arrived really eager, really excited, hoping that I'd be able to deploy out somewhere. Um, and the first place that I went was to South Hinksy, just outside Oxford, um, to, <laughs> to, to, to help with the floods. <laughs> so like, here's Sam, he tells all of his mates that he's joining the army to travel the world. And I get posted back to South Hinksy and the first person's door that I knocked on and this isn't a joke the first person's door that I knocked on um, to come and basically tell them to get out of their house and let's go and sandbag their garden was my headmaster um, <laughs> from my school and you saw him look at me thinking why is Kennedy knocking on my door <laughs> and two like you could then see it click and it, it was blatantly a wow he's actually doing something useful with his time for once um, so <laughs> you thought so, yeah, you were an army cadet <laughs> yeah that's exactly it like begging for money or something um, but um, but uh, after that so um, so I had I had a great two years in Abingdon actually um, I, I was a troop commander so um, commanding uh, kind of 30 to 40 young people um, well young people and, and guys that were older than me as well and that was a real challenge um, commanding like my staff sergeant was a was a really kind of tough proud um, Welshman um, who was incredible at his trade um, but had returned from Afghanistan for like the fourth time had been to Iraq had seen some really tough stuff and then you've got this 21 year old who's just commissioned out Santos who's trying to find his feet and trying to set the world alight and um, and yeah it brings you down to the ground pretty quickly um, but again, like that was, that was a really good two years. If I'm honest, it was again, in hindsight, it was a good two years. Looking back, I think I spent a lot of the time really nervous and worried about making decisions. And I think I was too cautious about people liking me, um, because I was, I was young and I was definitely of the younger, younger kind of people in my, in my in, in my troop of 30 to 40 people um but but it was great loads of driving around in massive trucks went out to canada for a few months um on exercise which was which was just incredible so yeah two years doing that um and then i went um i then promoted to lieutenant spent a bit longer there and then i went to instruct at a place called Purbright. so uh, teaching brand new recruits joining the army so from week basically from the the moment they join the army through to week 14 when they pass out as soldiers and that was great just being able to have an influence on people's lives and um you've got an amazing training team around you you're really well supported with um with uh like the the kind of like program and um all of the um all of the stuff that you get thrown at you like range time and exercise time and that kind of stuff and, and that was brilliant um so I did that for a year and a bit um and then i went down to a place with 17 port and maritime regiment um, they also call it 17 sports and pastime because you basically just play loads of sport when you're down there and um and enjoy being down in southampton uh, and on the coast in the new forest what was that dan we did notice that at the time actually yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it was amazing Wednesday sports afternoon we, we had a yacht at the end of the pontoon and you'd sail across the cows have a beer and then sail back like absolutely no sport in it at all but um but it was brilliant um and that was um so I was the second in command of a squadron of kind of 200 people um uh, kind of multitudes of um of trades um from um like drivers to communication specialists so like comms people um to divers so we we looked after the army dive capability 
ability, um, loads of different stuff. And that was just awesome. Got to, uh, got to go to a few places around the world, um, because they'd always send things called port task groups to, to go and meet ships all over the place. And, and that was brilliant. That was, um, I worked for a great guy, um, that, that made all the difference. And it was just lovely being down in Southampton. I got involved in a, in a, in a good church down there, um, while still being involved with St. Aldates. And, um, yeah, it was, that, that was a really fun couple of years. Um, and I kind of throughout this time, it was probably leading up to where I am today that I was really fortunate to, to get some great experiences, um, in, in appointments that were above my rank, but they needed covering. And, um, and I was fortunate enough to get the, the right reports at the right time to, to, to do some interesting stuff. Um, so from there, I then went out to Iraq um, on tour as a captain. So I promoted to captain at this point. Um, and I spent six months um, in, it was actually, so mainly Kuwait. So I spent some time in Kuwait um, and then I spent some time in Iraq as well, but got to travel all over the theater. Um, so um, so the, the reason why I was out there, it, it was during the time of when ISIS were kind of causing havoc in the Middle East. And um, and I clearly they are still now, but it was during the time of their kind of like land holding campaign where um, where they were doing some pretty awful stuff. So, so I was working for, for the coalition headquarters out there, um, both the regular forces and the special forces headquarters out there that were um, that were going out to defeat ISIS and to help the Iraqis, um, Jordanians, uh, a few other nations um, fight against uh, against this organisation. Um, that was great. Got to travel loads. Um, got up to um, got up to the border of Syria. Spent time in Iraq. Spent time in Kuwait. Spent time in Jordan. Um, managed to get a few days out in Cyprus. Um, it, it was brilliant. So that was great. Did that for six months. Then came back to Abingdon as um, as the adjutant for um, for one of the logistics support regiments. So like frontline logistics regiments where like you look after yeah so adjutant you basically look after the discipline for the regiment um and you are the right hand kind of the right hand guy for for the for the commanding officer so the person that commands the regiment so we had a a regiment of 550 ish people um and um they were an absolute nightmare to manage um so they were getting in trouble with the police all the time um like regularly your phone would go and i I mean regularly like kind of once every couple of weeks you'd get a phone call at two o'clock in the morning saying that one of the boys are girls have been arrested and um and you had to kind of testify for them over the phone or whatever to um yeah to get them back to camp and but but that again was a it was a really challenging couple of years full on but but it was it was a wonderful couple of years really again really shaped me as uh, the person that i am today the shaped the kind of shaped and refined some elements of my um of my um probably like character and work and um yeah, kind of your work ethic has to be really good in a job like that. And yeah, you became really disciplined. Um, so yeah, but it's, uh, yeah. And then from there, um, sorry, boys, this has definitely gone on longer than two minutes and probably boring everyone. Um, uh, and then, and then from there, um, ended up being really fortunate to get a job in the Ministry of Defence uh, main building in Whitehall, um, which, if you think of that as being the headquarters for all three services, so it's the headquarters of, uh, of defence, um, and it's led by the Secretary of State for Defence, a guy called Ben Wallace, um, and um, he's got a few ministers underneath him, um, and uh, and that has just been a real experience. I, I went, uh, I went there to do one job, and actually for the majority of the time, um, I've been the uh, 
um, military uh, assistance and military attache um, to the uh, Minister for the Armed Forces, so a guy called James C.P. Um, and that's just been just a phenomenal opportunity to be able to travel the world um, uh, all over the place over the last kind of kind of during the six months that I was doing it for. Um, and during a time of like heightened pressure with everything that's happening in Ukraine and with Russia, um, it, it was just fascinating to be in that position. I think especially as a Christian, but to be in that position, um, working um, as the advisor to a, to a minister in a really small team, um, it, it, it was um yeah, that that was that was really special, um, and then I'm just waiting now to to then go off to um, uh, to Staff College in Shrivenham, so quite close to Oxford, um, where I'll basically learn how to become a major. So I'm a, I'm a major now. I, I started uh, wearing my major uh, back in July, um, and then I go to kind of major school, um, and then that'll be me a major for the next kind of few years. Um, that's it. That's that's the rundown. I'm sorry that didn't take two minutes. Um, no, can we go back? Can we go back a bit? Oh, Hamzy, unless Hamzy's got an immediate question, but I wanted well, to go back. I was just—I was just going to say that I just think is maybe we'll come back to this, but just it strikes me just the um, the breadth of that is really interesting. I know, yeah, like go, kind of going through that with you over the last two years and you know, knowing, each yeah, other, uh, is one thing. But just to hear it again, just quick like that, it's fascinating. The yeah breadth of different kinds of roles you've done different places you've been mm-hmm. but then also i was just struck by the, the numbers of people that you were leading just went up like big steps you know starting with yeah. in the tens and a couple of hundred then 500 and then now in a kind of more kind of uh i guess a political yeah role. that's just such a breadth of stuff yeah yeah unbelievable and th- that's what i wanted to get at was the was the leadership element <laughs> So obviously they, I suppose they teach you a little bit, um, but it must be interesting. So as a Christian, you, and we, we touched on it with our episode on work as a Christian, you obviously have a certain outlook on, on work. Then when you throw in the factor that your work is, is for the army. So a lot yeah. of it is, is fighting, is war, is, yeah. Um, weaponry is political stuff going on with Ukraine and Russia mm. and then you throw in another element where you're leading a bunch of men and women and like Hamesy said that number's exponentially growing the, the way you climb up yeah that must be that must be fascinating as, as a Christian in that environment and yeah. you said you said I think you hinted just a while ago mm. um, you know as a Christian and what what have been the what have been the main things you've noticed as a Christian? Have there been have there been like challenges, things you've mm. had to wrestle with in that time, yeah. both as a leader and as a as a soldier, effectively? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think so. I think it's something that 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 I was wrestling with way before I even joined the army, um, and I think a lot of it was probably because. Um, I knew I wanted to join the army when I knew that I wasn't going to go to university and when it kind of cropped up. But a lot of people would ask me um, about how I felt about joining the army when ultimately the, when push comes to shove, like ultimately the, 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 um, the hardest thing you could get asked to do in the army is, is to, they call it close down and kill the enemy that you, that you, in theory, you could be in a position where you have rifles, where you have bayonets fixed to your rifle and, and you're in a position where you have to do stuff that like you just never would imagine doing and you would never want to do. Um, well, so it was something that I was, you've got to kill somebody else using a, 
a bit. Yeah, so like, at, so, at close range. so like, thankfully, being in the Royal Logistic Corps, that was probably never going to happen um, <laughs> unless things really went wrong. Uh, but like, there were times in Afghanistan where infantry soldiers had to fix bayonets and they were like hand to hand fighting with, with the Taliban. So um, that, that kind of stuff, like, p- people will ask you that question when you were, and, and they still ask the question now, but definitely more so when I, when I joined. So it was something that I've been wrestling with for a long time, or, or not necessarily wrestling with, but thinking a lot about. Um, and I think ultimately it came back to the fact that that I wanted to be I wanted to be a leader in the army. I wanted to go into a position where where you were a leader and where you're in a leadership role. And I think um, if you've got the choice between having a Christian in that position and a non-Christian in that position, like what a blessing to have someone there that is a Christian um, and that can that can hopefully um, lead by example, that they can be justified in their decision making. Um, uh, and, and I really, I, I really felt that, that that's something that I wanted to do, and, uh, and and I think that's one of the reasons why I why I was so keen to join join as an officer. Um, and I think also like I, you, you've then like you can then say that, but then clearly a lot of people will then say, hey, well, the people that are commanding you may not be Christians; they probably won't be Christians. Um, they may not have the same moral compass. So actually. Um, your, your beliefs, like the way that you would manage your team, whatever, um, won't really change because you get told to do something and you have to do what that what that person tells you. And to an extent, yeah, that that is true. But I think also we're really taught um, when you join the army that you have got to stand up for what you believe in. Um, and I I think it's really important that if you feel a red line has been crossed, uh, so you're being told to do something that you really disagree with, you have to stand up for it. Um, and yeah, that might be really tough when the person that commanding you um writes your report or um or you're in a really dangerous position and you don't kind of have a huge amount of time for a decision to be made but it's really important as a leader but also as a christian leader even more so as a christian leader that if you do feel like your um like your your morals are being um uh, that your moral that you kind of your moral compass is being uh forced in any way that i i think it's really important that you say, hey, you, you, you're stepping over a red line here. And actually, I, I, I don't agree with this. And and that's right by yourself. And that's also absolutely right by the people that you're commanding, because you hope that the decisions that you make are justified and are, are the right decisions. Mm. Well, yeah, that's a really good point about um, it be actually being a blessing to have Christians in positions of of leadership in that kind of yeah. institution. I hadn't thought of it like that. Because um, I think ultimately, Sam, like, uh, and Dan, like, I, I think ultimately someone will be in that position. So if you're not in that position, that position yeah. will be filled by someone. Um, and yeah. actually, if it can be filled by a Christian, then I, I think that's incredible. Um, and the influence you can have on your on your soldiers and your fellow officers and the people that, that are around you and the people that encounter you, um, you can have a real influence on people. And that's not by shoving it in their face, but it's just by just by loving people and supporting people and just being a little bit different. Um, I've been told throughout my career that I probably need to be um, a little bit less happy, a little bit less smiley, maybe a little bit harder in a few areas. Um, and actually, like looking back, it's who I am. And and I think initially that probably dented my confidence a bit, but actually it's who I am. It's the way that I lead. And um, yeah, and I, and I wouldn't change it. Do you find um, with... Yeah, your na- your natural personality isn't to be kind of domineering or mm. loud. Well, not loud in a kind of uh, aggressive way. Um, yeah, not. Um, yeah, you're quite a laid back personality. Do mm. you find with the army something like you know this fairly this sort of strict, well ordered hierarchy? Does that help you? Yeah. Um, 
I'm just wondering if that's a factor that that you know you, you've got very clear authority. Yeah. Sort of on your, this there on your on your you know on your uniform and your job title. Does that does that help yeah. you? Or do you feel like you have you found a way to lead out of the kind of yeah your your own personality like yeah. to those two things? Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think there are like there are a few points to that. That yeah, I think the hierarchy makes it makes it quite easy because you know um, you know who the who the people are that you need to that you need to listen to that you can seek advice from um, all of that kind of stuff. Um, but equally, I think you need to earn the respect of the people that serve under you and the people that serve above you. Um, and actually, the rank that you wear on your chest or on your shoulders, that's that only goes part way to, to people respecting you. Um, so, again, you need you need to be a person. You need to be I think you need to be humble with it. I think you need to um, treat people as as you'd like to be treated. You need to treat them like they're humans. And you do get a lot of people that come into the army not realizing that. And I think they come in and try and throw their weight around and, and very quickly unravels for them. And they realize that actually that they, they need to, they need to connect with the people on a, on a human level. Um, but I definitely struggled when I first joined the army, um, that I, I was a bit different. I wasn't, I wasn't laddish. I, I didn't really enjoy going and kind of drinking with everyone as much as a lot of other people did in the mess. And I really struggled with that. Like, I struggled with the pressure of, of like people like you going to bed after a mess function and stuff. And like people coming, like knocking on your door to try and, to try and get you out to then come and drink. And, and I think that culture is definitely changed in the army and it's something that the army's really worked on, but I really struggled with that. And I think that's because, um, I was just, I, I didn't really know who I was back then. I didn't have a huge amount of confidence. Um, but as time as time has gone on, I've just realised oh, that's just me, and um, and and I shouldn't get worked up by it. Um, yeah, but I, but I also think that I probably, in all honesty, like being completely honest, I, I think I probably suffer with a lack of confidence in my own ability at times. And I think the reason why I've why I've done like well in the army is because. I, I work really hard to try and make sure that people don't see the cracks in my armor and see that I'm actually maybe not as good as, as they think I am, if that makes sense. Um, so, yeah, so I, I think, like, I think I do struggle with confidence to an extent and um, yeah, hopefully some of those kind of answered your, answered your question there, but I think that kind of, yeah, is important. It makes um, me think of, uh, sorry. I was just going to say, it makes me think of. I, I listened to a podcast recently, not one of not one of ours, like a competitor. Um, <laughs> and, uh, they were talking about um, about Nelson in uh, the Battle of Trafalgar. So sorry to take sorry to take to the Navy, who I know <laughs> the senior service. <laughs> they um, they were saying on there that Nelson had such a good relationship with um, his captains. So he's the with all his captains, they they just spent time together eating, and like they so got his. Mm. Leadership, what he wanted to do they knew what his tactics would be in battle that on the day of the battle of Trafalgar when it was absolutely chaos um, he didn't actually have to give any specific orders he just put up the, you know, the famous flag message mm. saying expects that every man will do his duty and that was all he had to say which was basically like a kind of come on lads kind of message and the captains were all so clear on all their individual ships what Nelson wanted what he would do mm. it just happened I thought that was really like it's such an interesting, yeah. uh, like a style of leadership and a picture of good leadership that you just yeah. have such closeness of um, relationship and trust, clarity that yeah. we're going into battle. Yeah. We know what we know what the boss wants. Let's let's do it. 
Yeah, I think fundamentally it's a, it's a people business, um, and you know you have to know the people around you. And I think, to be honest, they need to know you as well as as well as you know them. Um, and I'm sure some people would disagree with that, but um, but definitely that's that's been my style. And yeah, I I, I just couldn't do it any differently, to be honest. I'd be rubbish at doing it any other way, to be honest. I'm not hard at all. <laughs> <laughs> we can vouch for that. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> mate, I could talk about that all evening. I think it's so fascinating. Before we, because we've got a few other bits that we maybe want to talk about, but before we do, the last thing on the army is that you, you just last month or uh, September mm-hmm. worked on the Queen's funeral yeah. of all events. Yeah. And, and, we fairly fairly had fairly significant role in that yeah yeah it was um it, it was bizarre so i was coming off leave and went out for a run came back and um and turned on the news as did everyone else and and found out that that, that the queen had passed away um and um very soon after that i was sent a message just saying hey you, you're back to work um in a couple of days time which i knew about anyway it wasn't a big surprise and um and that was being seconded to um to the general who is the most senior appointment within the within the royal household um and um i was being seconded as his again as his kind of military aide but as the chief of staff to the army team who were um who were um kind of orchestrating um the royal funeral so um you have the team that were basically doing all the all the ceremonial stuff so like drill and that kind of stuff they were they were off doing their kind of thing and then I was working for the team who kind of oversaw all the military's um kind of all the military's efforts um with, with the funeral and it was just it was it was a real honor to be involved in it for the kind of week and a half that I was doing it for um it's thrown into kind of a baptism of fire it was absolutely manic um and long hours it was like being back with a minister but um but it was such a treat it was um yeah it was really special um I'm really special to play a part in um in remembering someone who who means so much to the army who means so much to the nation um and it was just a it was a real privilege to 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 do a tiny part uh, to play a tiny part in it um and it was just incredible to see london over that time kind of just all people unite and um yeah it was it, it, it was it was really special and through the through the night the early morning rehearsals you were there for those you were there yeah you went on the day you were there Yes, yeah, so I was. I was there on the day, not in the service, um, but outside, um, and um, and then the t- kind of two days before that. So on the Saturday, the funeral was on the Monday, and then on the Saturday, I was I was really fortunate enough to get into the the one and only rehearsal where they went through the whole of the funeral, um, and just sitting in um, sitting in Westminster Abbey with um, with everyone there that was playing a part in it, um, kind of dressed up in all their regalia. Um, to the point of you had the choir there you had um the um the the queen's piper there you had everyone there that was playing a part in it and then kind of 30 of us it was basically the advisors to to the royal household um and then the advisors to the senior officers um and it was just it was mind-blowing absolutely mind-blowing and it was just amazing like as a christian as well it was great to see kind of uh, how the queen's faith had been weaved into the service and the choice of hymns and that type of stuff was was just it was just amazing so um yeah a real a real privilege a real honor to to, to be a part of it um and definitely like just uh, absolutely a highlight of highlight of my career so far amazing what a thing and we yeah we all watched it and um 
amazing thing to be a part of what a day that that is a that's a once in a lifetime thing isn't it and a and yeah. a day that lives with you um for a long long time and um i was thinking about that and you've had a few of those and that that's an incredible just like for mm. 40 minutes or whatever it's been on your on your career and um like i say we could talk about it all evening <laughs> amazingly normally you get you get one of those in in a family amazingly um your wife arguably could top that in terms of once, <laughs> in terms of once in a lifetime and and moments that live with you forever so erin yeah. your wife is i believe an olympic champion a european champion a world champion Am I missing anything else? Sorry, sorry, I just swallowed a fly that had gone into my drink. Sorry. Um, yeah, <laughs> he's done. He's finished. You'd see me <laughs> tipping, my, tipping my drink back in. Um, sorry. Yes. Yeah. The, the answer to that, yes. No, you're, you're right. So, um, yeah, she went out to Tokyo last year and uh, with the GB rowing team. Um, and she actually coxes the, the Paralympic four. Um, she's an able-bodied athlete, but Cox in the Paralympic four. Um, and um, yeah, really, really blessed that she came away with a gold medal for, from that. And a, and a bizarre experience. No family were allowed out there because of COVID. Um, it was all on their own with only the the kind of coaches and support staff during the month. But um, but yeah, amazing. Got got up at three in the morning with um, with my grandma who stopped me um, opening the can on my own, um, and um, <laughs> I watched watched it with her and my grand grandpa and mum um, and dad. And yes, yeah, such a such a special experience. So yeah, she. Um, yeah she's done that and um yeah it, it was quite incredible so that she's carrying on she was also honored as well right what's the uh what's the story yeah that? yeah so so any gold medalist um at a games whether it's a summer or winter games um gets a uh gets a, a an mbe um so um hers is um services to rowing um pretty uh pretty specific um but yeah services to rowing and we're actually going to um incredibly we're off to windsor castle tomorrow to collect that at the investiture so um yeah it'll be a really really special day uh to, to be with her um yeah really proud of her Who's doing it? Who, who will she be? Um, I don't know what you call it. Who will she be kneeling in front of or whatever? So the team that I worked with during the Royal Funeral um, have told me that they think it's Princess Anne. Um, so uh, there are actually two taking place tomorrow. And I think the King's doing the one in the morning. Um, and then Princess Anne's doing it in the afternoon. Um, and she's the one in the afternoon. So yes, I think it's going to be Princess Anne. But she was also, um, she got invited to the palace last Wednesday. Um, so all medalists were allowed to go to the palace to, um, to, to go and have a drinks reception with a few royals. And they thought it was just going to be Princess Anne um, who was going to be there. And then when they got there, they got handed a, a little ticket that had the name of the other royals that were on there, just in case she didn't recognise them walking around. Um, and it was um, the king... Uh, the Queen Consort, um, and then Princess Anne, and um, she said it was. Um, she just said oh, it was. It was an amazing experience. She said it wasn't like lining up and waiting to shake the hands. It was. Um, it, they, they just came and mingled around and just um, just chatted about everything. Supposedly, King Charles has never been on a rowing machine before, and um, yeah, it was. Um, she said it was bizarre, but but a wonderful experience, and and an experience that I think is made even even kind of better through the fact that they couldn't have family and friends at the games last year um and actually this is an opportunity to be able to share their experiences with with their family and friends for for really the first time mm. she told me that um the king was asking after you and uh, said there was a couple of things he'd have changed 
<laughs> Do you know what? I'm sure that's true. I'm sure yeah. that's true. Yeah. Um, I, um, I reckon we ought to probably get Aaron on for an episode, to be honest. I think we could yeah. fill, we could fill a few episodes just talking to Erin. Yeah. Do you know what? She'd absolutely love to. She is a, as we said beforehand, she is actually a diehard listener. Um, she um, She's listened yes. to all of them and, and like loves them to the point that I got in the car the other day and um, and you were just playing in the background. I was like, is that Dan and Sam? Um, and uh, yeah, she just had it playing. But no, she loves it. Get her on, Ainsley. She's, she's got much better, much better chat. She'd love it. <laughs> we could do two or three episodes with her um, for sure high profile listener and possibly most high profile guest we've got Olympian <laughs> listening um, but um, Sammy can we can we talk yeah. about um, more recently because obviously yeah. that she's had all of that and then has had an incredible battle yeah. more recently and I, some people listening would have probably seen her in the in yeah. the media, in the press, um, all all on social media. Mm. Um, do you just do you just want to explain a bit about what's been going on the last few months for for you guys and for Erin specifically? Yeah, of course. Um, so this year just started um, kind of uh, the real hope of um, of three years running to, to the Games, to, to Paris 2024. Um, and we were really looking forward to kind of having a non-disrupted kind of three years of, of prep for that. And she was really excited about being back at training. Um, and she went away on a training camp at the start of May um, and was in the shower and um, felt, felt a lump in her breast. Um, so booked an appointment to get it seen to, um, not really thinking it was going to be anything. <laughs> And then at the very end of May, um, got the results back. We went into hospital together um, and she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And um, within uh, about a minute of being in the city, kind of in the waiting room, waiting to go in, being called into the room, um, within about a minute of that, we found out that she had breast cancer. We found out that the chance, that the, the type of breast cancer that she had would probably be quite a hard one to quite a hard one to kind of get on top of initially. Um, and um, and they knew that because of her age um, and a few other things. Um, and we found out again within within the space of a minute that, that she was going to have to have chemotherapy and that chemotherapy would need to start as soon as possible. Um, and that was, yeah, pretty intense. Like, I don't think I've ever experienced anything like that. And just like that kind of rush of emotion when, when you're first told about it. And it's just something that you don't expect. Like Erin was 29 when she was diagnosed with cancer, um, like years and years younger than the average age that people are diagnosed um, with breast cancer. Um, and just kind of hearing the word cancer and um and yeah and being told that your wife has it at that point they didn't know what kind of her prognosis would be like they didn't know how they were going to combat it other than they knew that it was going to involve chemotherapy um so yeah a, a huge amount to take in um and then like in true erin style and i think i think it was it, it was absolutely the best thing and again just amazing that i think like the, that god had orchestrated this at the at that time that the next morning so we found out on the wednesday night um and she'd already delayed her flight out to um to the first world cup the rowing world cup um which took place at the very end of may um she delayed her flight by 24 hours um because she had to go to this appointment um and then at nine o'clock the next morning um i drove her to heathrow airport and dropped off at the airport so she could fly out to to the first world cup and she was just really she was dead set on the fact that she was going to live her life as normally as possible for as long as she could not knowing what the prognosis was going to be at that point um and that we were just going to we were going to enjoy every minute that we had and um 
And yeah, and that was Erin going out there. Erin went and competed for the, for the weekend. Um, really enjoyed it. I pretty much spent the weekend crying um, and calling people to tell to tell them that she wasn't very well. Um, my brother came down and um, and hung out, and that was great. Um, and just people automatically, like straight away, like gathered around me, like you boys were were there for me straight away. And and like the church community was just amazing. But um, but yeah, so so that's that's basically what happened. And then since then, um, she's had chemotherapy. So she um, was initially told she was going to have 16 rounds of chemotherapy. Um, she's now uh, she's now going to have 15. We're 10 rounds through. We've got another five left um, and she'll be finished on the 8th of December. So we're in weekly, weekly treatment now. Um, but it's been a long journey. Like it's been a really long journey. Um, at, at the very, very start, they because she's so young and we haven't had children, um, they didn't know how chemotherapy and they still don't know how chemotherapy will impact her ovaries. So we had to go through fertility preservation at the start before she could have chemotherapy and that was that was really emotional that was that was pretty tough because they didn't think they were going to be able to do it in time and again just like perfect timing they managed to squeeze it in we had um, 13 days until she had to start chemotherapy um, and they managed to squeeze it in in 12 days which is just like super super rare um, and again just everything happened at the right time and um, yeah we've got yeah we've got some mini Kennedys freezing on ice um, at the moment but um, but yeah but, <laughs> what, but a prospect. <laughs> <laughs> what a prospect oh goodness um, but yeah we're, uh, but we are yeah like she's she's got six uh, five sessions left um, and she She's just been she uh, she's been amazingly strong throughout it. Like, I've been blown away. So yeah, that, that's it really. That's really been evident, you know. Um, sort of following Erin, I think she's been um, she's been very sort of determinedly open, mm. transparent. Sam mentioned about yeah. being media and stuff. She's been sharing a lot, very um, yeah, very openly on on kind of social mm. media and stuff. And I think it sounds as if um, she decided quite early on that she was in a position to um to speak about this to a lot of people because of her her her, her position her, her profile yeah she's been sort of raising awareness for you know getting to know your own body and looking out for signs of problems mm. and i guess um being supportive to people who are also you know in a similar boat um as her i think it's been pretty remarkable seeing that yeah, um, that the openness, the strength that's behind that, um, and clearly her, you know, her relationship with the Lord as well. Yeah, I, I do, I do find it amazing. Like, I, I think so often when you're younger and you're you're at church, and just like kind of any time when you're at church, so often you'll read in the Bible or you'll hear through teaching that that like about people's faith growing stronger through these experiences. Um, and I've never experienced anything like this. Um, and, um, and I can honestly say that after kind of six months or however long it's been now um, of, of going through this, um, and like, thankfully we can say that the prognosis is, is really good, that, that, that she, absolutely she should make a full recovery after uh, surgery and that kind of stuff. Um, but like absolutely our, our faith, both of our faiths ha have grown exponentially i think over this period and just um uh, you have to have a real reliance on it and i and i honestly i do not know how you'd go through this without your faith without the church community without um your strong kind of friends around you that, that are praying for you um faithfully and um supporting you that way i, I just i don't know how you i don't know how you do it um yeah well 
Well, I reckon we definitely will have to get Erin on and hear yeah. him about um, yeah, her rowing and all of that journey, but then also how she's how she's navigated these last months. Um, I think we've yeah. so we will do it. Um, but I think we should probably wrap up for this episode. It feels like it's absolutely flown by. It's been great to, uh, to turn over so many things. Thank you for giving us some of your precious time. Oh, guys, not at all. Like, it, genuinely, it's such an honour to uh, to see you boys do this, but also just to be a part of it, a, a little part of it, and to be joining uh, joining you for the fourth episode. Uh, so, yeah, thanks so much for, for inviting me along. Thank you, Major. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, boys. Thank <laughs> you.